Now, depending on where you are, it could be either a beautiful day or quite the washout. I mean, the Charlotte area showers have moved through, kind of moving off to the east a little bit as you look at the radar image out there, depending on where you're driving. If you're out, you know, to the east of Charlotte, probably still a little more dreary, but uh, otherwise a rainy day. If you're not on the coast, uh, likely a beautiful day, but you're not there. So you are where you are and you're listening where you are. And for those of you listening elsewhere, appreciate you doing so. I'm Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here at the microphone. At WBT News Talk Radio, 1110-993. You want to call, get in on the conversation, it's 704-570-1110 because we'll cover a lot of subjects. And I'll guarantee you, guarantee you, regardless of what you do to live, thrive, and survive and be a part of this audience, something you're going to say, what the hell is he talking about? Or, hell yeah. So there, I got it off right at the beginning. Just went ahead and went to the PG-13 rating. We appreciate you joining and being a part of things. Now, having said that, again, a lot is happening, but not a lot is changing. Isn't it astounding that, you know, the, the John Fetterman situation, the Chinese weather balloon situation, the what the heck we shot down over the Great Lakes and in the Yukon Territory, you know, the, the situation in Ohio on the ground, all of these things happen, but is it strikes me as odd, the lack of a curious media. Now, inherently, from the time we're born, we humans, God-given ability to ask questions about things. Why is the sky blue? Why do insects do that? What is that big cloud coming out of that nuclear thing? You know, kids ask a variety of, they're, they're, they're infinitely curious. It is what makes us, even if, if you're biblically inclined, you know, you even had Doubting Thomas, he was curious. Yeah, I'm not so sure I buy into this. You came back from the dead thing. Here, touch my wounds. We're curious. We want to know. We don't, we humans don't like to be spoon-fed. Now, I'm astounded personally. At the number of people, the number of sheeple, for lack of a better phrase, the number of sheeple, they, they, they have this infinite trust in someone in authority telling them things. Now, the irony here to me, always, the ultimate irony to me is always that those people most likely to be sheeple that will do exactly what an official tells them to do are the first to scream about fascism. <laughs> It's it's ironic, isn't it? They're the, the if you you look at the Joy Bihars of the world and the rest of people like that, you know the for, they're the ones that scream fascism the loudest, but are the most inclined to do exactly. You need to wear a mask, okay? I'll wear one, and then through the mask. Oh well, you know there's a bunch of fascists that don't want us to wear a mask. <laughs> they never they never stop and think. Wait a minute, the fascists are the ones that are telling me to do these things. Fascism isn't about cutting and getting rid of government. So when a bunch of Republicans get together, if they if they have a conservative inkling, because it's not all Republicans do, if they say, you know what, we want to cut taxes, we want to get government out of your life, we want to cut some of these positions, we really want per more personal responsibility, uh, then they get called fascist. It's the weirdest thing. You know, go you know, Governor DeSantis is a fascist. He's trying to ban books. No, he's trying to say there are certain things that are not age appropriate. They're not banned. You can go get them as adults anywhere. Buy them. So the the notion and understanding of fascism is is a distant. It, it's weird because in the minds of people who truly seem to embrace fascism, they don't know what it is. They're they're, they're so far removed from what actual fascism does. Fascism, an extension of socialism, an extension of this kind of progressive progressive marches. A progressive marches toward the drumbeat of, of fascism without realizing it. 
Because if a true a true progressive believes in the power of government to solve all issues. So as you get to the point that government starts solving all issues, you give unto government the power to control the means of production, whether it's energy, manufacturing, and you become Venezuela. And then the government's telling you to eat rabbits because the inflation is so high and you can't afford anything and there isn't any food. So you go out in the woods and you find a rabbit and you eat it because the government told you to. The irony there is it makes it very confusing for vegetarians. And vegans don't want to offend them. But that's the kind that they don't realize the inexorable march towards socialism that progressivism takes you. Climate change must be. And climate change is a beautiful one. I know boring snooze fest. Turn your radios off. Don't do that. I'm going to leave it here. I'm not going to belabor this. The point is that those who are the strongest advocates on social media and everywhere else, they don't realize, or they do, that in order for them to get everything they want, they have to turn over everything they hold dear to government regulation and control. Government has to control the means of production. It has to control energy. It has to control it. It's in charge of the global thermostat. Therefore, everything, everything's under that control. It's not about freedom. It's really not. So I, I say that because I want, and I think what we all want and deserve and what we were lacking because our media has become so left-leaning, and I don't mean that as a blanket indictment of all, there are those, is all the, all, the way to fix that, the way for all, for whether it's the Charlotte, you know, the Observer, the News and Observer, any of them, the way for, their, for the TV stations to fix this is to become infinitely curious. That's the ultimate remedy. You know, whether it's climate, COVID, Biden, Fetterman, satellites, Ohio, whatever the situation is, media should be persistently curious, regardless of who holds public office. The person who gets elected is no more altruistic or good for the country than the previous person from a journalistic standpoint and should not be. I mean, a case in point yesterday, it, it occurred yesterday and what made me kind of gravitate toward this as an opening was when they had the press conference with Biden about he can't. He didn't really hold a press. He does. He's not really good at press conferences. He, he, he. You know, he's a healthy, virile, eighty-year-old man with a staggering gait. So he came out and he made a statement, uh, kind of the, the the whatever they shot down is fine. Can't tell you what it is. They're not really sure what it is. It's fine, even though we don't know what it is. I don't know what. But the media started kind of yelling questions. It's 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 the nature of American uh, press rooms. They all holler questions, the president or whoever, uh, select someone, and they, they move with that question. Then it, they erupt, and then he picks another one. Well, he didn't like that yesterday. They asked him about his involvement. Is he compromised because of China? He kind of smirked and became disingenuous with him. And then he got another question, and he walked out of the room. Then the, the, the weird part about that, and the reason I say what I'm saying now, and you know what? What I'll probably do is, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But – what 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 amazed me is when he left the room, the number of people that began questioning themselves and each other, rather than say, wow, the president really needs to, to answer some questions, to start demanding that, the media started questioning one another in the room. The mics were on, and so this got picked up by mics. Now, when we get back, we're going to take a break here in a second. When we get back, I'll talk more about that and how it was really critical for the media to be to be curious, no matter who's in office, no matter what authority figure is telling them something, they should always, inevitably, consistently, persistently, almost irritatingly so, be curious. So anyway, 704, I'll throw it out there anyway, because you may be in another area code, 704-570-1110. Now, when we went to the break, I was talking about the need for there to be a curious media, regardless of who's in office. The unfortunate reality is that 
and I don't know if it's a journalistic training. I don't know where it comes from. I have my own beliefs about that. I think that a lot of journalists just starve so much when they start out. It's, it's not it's not a lucrative career, especially when you're starting out. And then as you move on, I think you get resentful of people with money and power, and you start really thinking they're always the bad guy. And then you, uh, you associate that. You associate Democrats with using government to help people. You associate Republicans with wanting to hurt people. And then you end up with this inherent confirmation bias that takes you into your career and into the latter years of your career when maybe you rise to the, to the New York Times or, or some other large journalistic enterprise. And, and that bias stays with you. And that, fo- that, 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 that fomented hate has, has taken root. And you don't even realize that you're so biased. And so when when someone when anyone comes along that really does captivate a lot of attention, you immediately go after that person in a negative way if they're Republican in a positive way. You worship someone like Obama and you crucify someone like Donald Trump. You don't take that you don't have the ability to adjust your objective lens and, and go down that path. Now I say that yesterday, Biden's having a press conference about the the UFOs or the the, the uh, excuse me, the unidentified aerial phenomenon that was shot down. We still do not have clarity as to what was shot down. We don't know. We ha- we assume that you know the president said it it, it. it wasn't a Chinese satellite or wasn't a Chinese weather balloon. But nonetheless, we don't know what they were. They haven't been able to. We don't know. Was it a hobby balloon? Was it a what it was? We don't know. But when they're asking, so he he makes a statement and he goes to walk off, kind of, and he he stops because everybody's yelling questions at him, and he kind of takes you kind of discern the one he he picks up on is one about his family. And his ability, is he compromised because of his family's relationship with China? And he gets indignant about that. And he says, he makes a response, which I'll get into in a second. And then as he, he says, give me a break, man. And as he's walking away, someone else says something, and he kind of brushed off, and he leaves. Now, the media, rather than be upset with the President of the United States not taking any questions, they begin to turn on each other, believe it or not. Members of the White House press corps were called on a hot mic Thursday reprimanding each other after President Biden refused to answer reporters shouting questions at him, urging them to be more polite people. So when a president isn't answering questions about, you know, his own relationship with China or the satellite situation or a a huge man-made disaster in Ohio, uh, he's not addressing questions. They're supposed to be more polite. They have a White House press. The the White House team is, is indignant. They are uh, they are just stonewalling on so many things. They've been caught lying so many times. They've been caught misdirecting, not telling the truth. And the press gets on itself. At the conclusion of Biden's press conference, the U.S. response to the recent Chinese spycraft being shot down and the sighting of other aerial objects, a raucous, raucous press corps hurled questions at the president. One could be heard asking if Biden's dealings with China are compromised by his family relationships. He whipped his head toward the reporter and said, give me a break, man. After NBC's Peter Alexander asked Biden to respond to criticisms that he'd overreacted to the balloon, Biden advised, you can come back to my office and ask a question when we have more polite people. He slowly walked away, stopped with his back, still turned to listen to a question, smiled, and left. Frustrated reporters who waited weeks to hear from the president were caught on a hot mic and video posted by The Recount, grumbling at each other for scaring the president away by shouting all their questions at once. Now think about the wording of that, that that questions scared the most powerful person on the planet away. Questions being asked over the top of each other scared him away. That seemed bad. One appeared to say while others talked over each other and another one said he can't hear if everyone's shouting. Another quote, 
That does not help our authority to get information out of the president, a reporter could be heard more clearly saying. A female journalist said he was going to answer questions. Another quote, that was a really poor way to handle that. While the question shouting practice is common for public appearances involving the president, Biden has expressed his frustration with the dynamic in the past. After Biden concluded remarks at an event in early October, he appeared to take a snipe at the assembled press as they shouted questions at him while being escorted out of the room. You're among the only press in the world that does this, the president was heard to say. In October, Biden appeared to mock reporters as they shouted questions at him during a meeting with Israeli President Isaac Herzog where he was seen imitating reporters, raising his eyebrows, and moving his mouth to mimic talking while laughing and slapped his knee before reporters were escorted out of the room. Now, that's the end of that. But here's the thing. So the president comes out, doesn't answer questions, has been AWOL for weeks on this matter, and and they're shouting questions at him because they have heard nothing and because his press secretary has done a poor job of communicating And instead of saying, we really need more answers from this White House, which should be unison, that should be the the monolithic from all sources left and right, we need more answers from the White House. Instead of that, they go, you know, we really should be more polite. We really shouldn't. He doesn't like it when we answer questions over each top of each other. We need need to do what he says. We need need to do what the president, you know, we need to be more respectful. No, that's not. the, The media's job is to get information. Accurate information, convey that to the public, regardless of where it takes us. They were ruthless during Trump. The entire Russia collusion narrative was unbelievably pathologic, and it was wrong. It's completely and utterly wrong. But it didn't stop them from pursuing it. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. They kept going back to the same false narrative. They were just wrong. Just unbelievably wrong. So, Dean, are you there? Hi. Hey, man. Welcome. Welcome to the show, and thank you for calling. What's on your right? Yeah. Hey, I was just listening to all this, and I I really don't have much sympathy sympathy for either side um, because it seems like it's the, the, the stage that creates the situation. I mean, you know, you talk about unbiased journalists. I thought that's what made a good journalist, that they were unbiased, and now... Well, all of a sudden, we're packing bias in, and the the government, their job is to answer the questions, and you know, and now they're now they're trying to critique not the questions but how they're asked. So maybe the format has to change. I don't see why both can't achieve their goals, um, but not the way it's set up. It's more theater than it is um, for both sides. You know, the journalists. Are trying to make their point, and the politicians are trying to discredit the other side. Am I looking at it wrong, or no, Dean? I, I think you're really spot on. That the I, I get that that a politician's job is to put a little spin, but they're also there to answer questions. And and the the stonewalling yeah. from the White House is not good form. And media's job is to to get through the spin. Now I get there's a bias. You're right. You know we see that not everyone's biased, but we all have a bias. Whether you're a talk shows, we all do in life. We have a bias because of the way we're raised. The influence is the thing that happened to us. But if you're curious enough, you can get past your bias, acknowledge it, and move forward and get answers. And that's what they should do. And quit swallowing the Kool Aid. Just start punching through and getting answers. And if enough of the media demand answers, the White House won't have a choice. But but this yeah, fact but that the they're way- blaming themselves is bizarre. Yeah, well, but the but the media, you know, you just 
upset how they're yelling and good this and good. That has nothing to do with everything that you were conveying to us didn't have anything to do with meaningful questions and everything that you were conveying to us with about the government. I'm saying you're absolutely right, but it had nothing to do with answering. You know, it right. was all the, the theater or the, the, right. the context of the situation. So why not change that? Why? What, what would make it so impossible that, you know, um, a, that there couldn't be a, every, you know, a question Dean? from every reporter putting a bowl and he just picks them out at random and, yep. you know, um, fair or unfair. It's Dean, we got to run. I'm up against a hard break. Thank you so much, man. We'll, we'll pick up there on the other side of the break. Uh, to Dean's comment earlier, by the way. You know, Dean said, maybe we need a different format. We need a different way of doing it. Maybe there's a way. You know, there have been press conferences where the president comes out, and it looks very stilted and planned when he comes out, and he'll, he'll look down at a car. Remember that? He got criticized early on. He'd have a card with names on it. He'd say, uh, John, yeah, John, what's your question? And they had this very organized, planned, and it, it almost looked they – would, they would ask a question of Peter Ducey once in a while from Fox, but, but it looked very – and it seemed to – discriminate against other reporters in the room. So the whole shouting thing is, it's very caveman-oriented. You know, it's kind of uh, strongest, uh, whoever's loudest, whoever gets, you know, the, the right word at the right time, the perfect syllable that catches the presence here. I don't know that there is a better way, but there needs to be kind of a monolithic response. The media has, it's not the media's job to promote a given political perspective, regardless of the issue. That's not their job. They may want to, and it's okay to have a, a bias or, or a desire or, or a belief, but the job is to get the facts out there. One of the most disturbing things about the Hunter Biden laptops, you know, just, just complete screw up, was the media's reticence to believe that it could, not that it was or wasn't true, but that it could be true. You know, even the fact that it could be true should make things curious and, and say, okay, well, is it real or not? Instead, it was dismissed. The New York Post was banned from Facebook. I mean, not from Facebook. They were banned. Well, they were banned from Facebook, Twitter. The story was literally suppressed. And when the media gets in the role of suppressing other media at the behest of political figures, you're not much better than Pravda. You're not much better than a state-run media. And that is inherently dangerous. It's very un-American. I mean, from Poor Richard's Almanac, you know, Common Sense, all these pamphlets, early American times, it's you, you don't want a complicit media. That is not helpful. And I, I don't know if there's a better way. Maybe it, it needs to evolve. I mean, social media certainly has evolved. And, and unfortunately, due to disinformation and the, the way in which disinformation, you know, gets disseminated, it, it's very problematic. And I, I think I have... Uh, I do have a piece on that that I'll get into let, later in the broadcast because it it is it is problematic the way the way that that moved forward. Uh, it, 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 it the way in the entirety of the way that these kind of issues move forward is problematic. So anyway, having said that, I, you know we'll get into that later because it, because it ultimately has fed the mechanism by which Democrats have accumulated so much more power over time. You, you look at even a state like I was looking through, just do, if you want to, do this on your own. Look at, just do a search on Governor Cooper. If you do a search, just a, a casual search, just enter Governor Roy Cooper in any search engine, whether it's Bing or Google or, or whoever, just enter it. So test me on this. And you'll see that everything, every story is a positive story about the governor. 
He announces $7.7 million for mental health. He's, he's helping telepsychiatry in Greenville, multi-million dollar uh, kids with mental health. Uh, the Governor Cooper honors black judges. He highlights investments in clean water. He appoints people and nominates people, and he honors North Carolina Central team. You know, he appoints a superior court judge. He encourages people to find out if they're eligible for more stuff. He celebrates National School Counseling Day. Every well, A lot of that is his own press that gets repeated by other people. So when's the last time Roy Cooper had a press conference and people came in and the media asked him difficult questions? Hey, a Chinese uh, spy satellite kind of, or a balloon flew over the state of North Carolina. Do you have any thoughts about that? Did the Biden administration communicate with you about that? You know, what, what, what do you do? You have concerns about TikTok and kids using it and government officials using it, you know, but we don't use it. It's not supposed to be allowed with government officials anymore, I don't think. But nonetheless, where are the tough questions even of our governor from our own press? And again, that's not a it's it's an observation. He's gotten Roy Cooper has had the easiest six years of being governor of almost anyone. He doesn't really take any tough questions. He had, you know, everything he did during covid was 100 percent, you know, supported by the media. And you say, well, Chad, you know, it was covid and we didn't know. And and, and a lot of things were going on. But. uh, But that but that's not true. I mean, th- there's always things going on, but you should always question why were these lockdowns necessary? Did they really achieve what they did? There's no evidence that they did anything positive. There's no evidence necessarily at masking, where there's no evidence even with, with immunizations. And we'll get into that. There's a story released. Even NBC News ran it today about natural immunity. We'll get to that. But let's take it a step further because during the Fetterman race, we'll go to Pennsylvania for a few minutes. During the Fetterman race, anybody with, with sense that, you know, God gave a a hamster, knew that Fetterman was unwell from the time the stroke almost took his life last May through the rest of the race. Democrats knew it. Republicans knew it. Members of the media knew it. But they were very reluctant to say this is a serious problem. During the State of the Union, he had to go to the hospital. After that, he has admitted himself to the hospital again. He's in the hospital again. He's got uh, serious depression, it says. CBS 21 spoke with him. And so... He's in the hospital. He's not representing his state. This is one of the things. When you go there, your job is to represent the millions of people in your state, especially as a U.S. senator, because you go state line to state line, east, west, north, south. You represent the entire state. You have to be there. You're, you're, you're X number of representatives for your state. You're the senator from that, one of two. So CBS 21, which is a local affiliate up in Pennsylvania, spoke to folks about his visit. Some said they wish the senator a speedy recovery. I think everyone should. Everybody wants people to get better. I, I wish him a speedy recovery. While others said it was clear before the election he wasn't healthy to serve. One person said it's just bad for Pennsylvania because he's not working on our account. It's good for him personally because he's working on his depression, but not good for Pennsylvania. Fetterman was in the hospital last Thursday after feeling lightheaded on a Senate retreat. Now, one week later, he's in the hospital again for mental, Ill, uh, for mental health. His wife, Giselle, who has been the chief proponent of getting him in, by the way, and, and, and if she really cared about him, she wouldn't have. I mean, this is weird. I don't want to. It sounds judgmental toward her. But for any of you, if someone you really cared and loved was in his condition, you would want what was best for them, not to put them through the rigors of being in office. The trappings of office are wonderful, but being in office requires you to show up. And he's it's very difficult for him to understand. It's very difficult for him to articulate. It could be just the period since the stroke. It's going to be a while. It could be permanent. But obviously, he's not in good health. 
Even with varying feelings on Fetterman's ability to represent Pennsylvania, many Pennsylvanians commended the senator for seeking mental health. Well, that's great. I think we all should. Great. If you have mental health issues, go get help. Please, absolutely go get help. You've had these issues in the past. You knew you weren't well. Your family knew you weren't well. You pursued being in the Senate anyway. You weren't ready to serve. As a nation and the citizens of Harrisburg and the state of Pennsylvania, we just need to pray for him for a speedy recovery. But he wasn't well. But that's the quest for power. That's the ultimate quest for power. Charlie Hurt has a great column on this. Uh, I'd definitely like to get into that column, and I will. And he's over at the, at the, at the Washington Examiner. And we want to, I want to get to well, actually the Washington Times. I apologize for that. The situation with John Fetterman that we were referring to earlier. And by the way, if you want to call and get on the conversation, it's 704-570-1110, 570-1110. You guys always move to the front of the line. All calls always appreciated. Uh, regardless whether you agree or disagree with the host, we appreciate you for listening and being a part of things. Now, Charlie Hurt has a, has a great piece out over the Washington Times, and it's about this quest for power. The, the zealotry behind John Fetterman, and you think about this, he was clearly, visibly, reliably troubled through the entire campaign. There was, there was no way to mask it. Democrats knew it. Everybody knew it. Everybody, anybody who saw him speak knew this was a problem. And yet the machine wanted the power. They couldn't scramble and find another candidate. He, he almost died as he was winning the primary, and they just wanted the power. Now, he won. That, that's a pox on the rest of us to elect someone who shouldn't be serving. That's, but, but it is a problem that is persistent. So Charlie Hurt over the Washington Times wrote this. You have to hand it to Democrat politicians. They, it's an opinion piece. They are seriously committed to their politics. For them, politics is more important than life itself. Although, to be fair, that level of commitment is a little easier for them considering their low regard for life in the first place, at least the lives of others. Democrats are enthusiastic supporters of death in all various, various forms. Now, this is his opinion. Democrats love abortion, for example. Two of them, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Representative Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, displayed that devotion for abortion at the president's State of the Union address last week, wearing pins that said abortion, except the O was replaced with a heart. In other words, love abortion. Markey, who bears a striking resemblance to the Grim Reaper, has been fighting for death in Washington for 47 years. In 2021, he drafted a bill to expand the Supreme Court so that Democrats could pack the court with four more pro-abortion enthusiasts. You can't make this stuff up. Can you imagine being a fly on the pearly gates when Senator Reaper tries to explain all that? And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that you, you just... When I saw those abortion I thought it was weird. I thought it was a joke. I, this is this just me. But back to the column. But it's not just abortion. Democrats are committed to death throughout the stages of life. For example, they're tremendous supporters of high murder rates in, in all the cities they run. In Democrat-led cities, children are killed in drive-by shootings. Teenagers are killed in drug wars. Older Americans are killed for their Social Security checks. Another favorite form of death is drug intoxication. Truly, death in all its forms. And when death is not available, death's close cousin misery will do. That's why Democrat strongholds also feature so much rape and theft and armed assaults, meaning these cities that are run by Democrats. Also, people relieving themselves on the sidewalk and vagrants walking around with their pants down. And, of course, high gas prices and grocery bills. Think California, Washington, Portland, Seattle. So life is pretty cheap and meaningless when Democrats are in charge, but still they do love their politics. Watching First Lady Joe Biden face smooching the second gentleman at her husband's State of the Union reminded the world who wears the pants in that family. She and the entire bad Biden clan forced their doddering patriarch to shuffle around and babble incoherently on stage in order to keep the corrupt family fortune thriving. 
See, th- there are people asking questions, but Hurt's more of an opinion person. The family of John Fetterman, a Pennsylvania Democrat, also has zombie-like dedication to politics. They definitely love their politics more than life itself, at least more than Fetterman's life. After Mr. Fetterman was hospitalized for a terrible stroke last year, his wife and family forced him back on the trail. It paid off for the family who rode the stumbling, mumbling Fetterman all the way to the Senate. He has been hospitalized again, according to one newspaper, due to the strains of his recovery, which left him with a physical impairment and serious mental health challenges. Despite extraordinary accommodation in the Senate, Mr. Fetterman cannot communicate with people. Listening to others, according to reports, is like trying to make out the muffled voice of the teacher in a Peanuts cartoon whose words can never be deciphered. You remember that? Seriously, who does this to a person? What kind of family dumps a guy out of the hospital, forces him back on the campaign trail, and then dispatches him to Washington to live as a mental invalid? Democrats. Sadder still is that much of Fetterman's current condition can be blamed on his wife and family's refusal to allow him to recover, forcing him back on the campaign trail instead. He's come to terms with the fact that he may have set himself back permanently by not taking the recommendation amount of rest during the campaign, according to the report, such is the lust for power and politics for the political left. Did anyone express, did anyone on the left express concern for Fetterman when he was running or since he's been in the Senate? They're thankful that, I mean, think about that. Everyone's, everyone wants him to get better. You do, I do, everyone listening. Hey, we want him to get better, but he's not getting better. And it, it's, it's just a sad reality of where we are in politics. And, and the lack of a curious media and push, it, it's very much this Orwellian. It's not quite Orwellian. I would say it's more Brave New World, the alphas and betas and all those in power. So it's very, it's very Brave New Worldy because we're not really looking behind the curtain much. We're not really looking at, at, at the policies of this. If you start getting into the policies, you realize, hey, there really was a ministry of truth they tried to push on us. It, it, it worked out. It was abandoned. But the fact that they pushed it forward directly an Orwellian thing. The spin machines that our media have become kind of reminiscent of Big Brother. Whatever Big Brother says, they want to reiterate. The media should be... They're not even knee-jerk reactionaries anymore, unless it's something a Republican. Ted Cruz goes to Cancun, Mexico. It is a front-page story. If a town blows up in Ohio, it takes the media... What? It's been 14 days, two weeks since it occurred, and now it's a front-page story. Tomato, tomato, one might say, right? Tomato, tomato. And I I love, by the way, following the people. There's an entire cult of people that have millions of followers, by the way, on social media, whose day-to-day world is literally hoping that the evidence finally comes forth that puts Trump in prison or puts any Republican in prison, whether it's Trump or whether it's Matt Gaetz or whoever it is. I mean, to be fair, there's a whole group on the right that are waiting for you know, Hillary Clinton to go to prison. They still the whole locker up thing. So it's 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 kind of this entertaining way of looking at the world. It's not substantive, not really substantive. I wish we were having the big substantive debates. I, I wish we were having more substantive debates in this country about the way to really save it. And gun violence, that's the one it becomes kind of a trope. They just kinda of, there's a shooting and then a crisis is there, so Democrats say now's the time to pass legislation without ever looking back and saying, Hey, the person that committed that crime was caught before, but we dropped the charges. Or they broke many laws. Hour two getting ready to be underway. Chad Adams, your guest host here at WBT. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.